This is Cultural Quarter of an Hour and I'm Charlotte Foster. Every week we will be exploring the culture of Stoke-on-Trent and the surrounding area. Some weeks I'll be visiting events, other weeks I'll be looking back at our history, but always with an eye on the future. And you'll also hear the stories of the people who make this area just what it is. Culture is all around us. It's in the buildings, it's deep underground, it's in the air, and of course, it's in our blood. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Now, I know I bang on about this most weeks, but to me, culture, it is so much more than just some artwork hanging up in a gallery. It is more than the exhibitions we go see at the museums. It is more than performances. It is more than songs and music. It is all of that. But there's also that other element to it as well to me. It is the culture of which we live in. And by that, I mean the community and the people who make up that community. This week's podcast, I am talking to one of the women who set up Alice Charity. Her name is Steph Talbot. It's a busy week this week for Alice. They're holding their fundraising ball on Friday the 2nd of February. So I managed to squeeze a few minutes in with Steph and she told me all about Alice, what they do and what life is like running a small charity in North Staffordshire. Well, we're just about to celebrate our seventh birthday. Um, we started as a big cup toddler group, which was just met once a week in Clayton in Newcastle. Um, and we really wanted to give the opportunity for low-income families and single-parent families to attend a toddler group and get the benefits of that um, sort of quite a middle-class kind of um, institution, if you like. Um, and we did... We sort of have people arrive and have a drink on arrival. Then we'd have a bit of a gossip and a catch up. And then we do quite, we'd have something to eat with the children. And then we use the opportunity to get the mums to really, you know, get the children to sit down and they eat, not to walk around with food in their hands. Um, and we were very insistent on that. So we were sort of teaching them, you know, table manners, but then also enjoying sitting at a table with your children and sort of catching up on stuff. And then we'd have a very structured activity. And again, we insisted that the parents or whoever brought the child sat and did the activity with the child. It wasn't a case of you know we'll do you know messy play while you go outside and phone your friend or have a cigarette or whatever and again it was around teaching the parents how much they can enjoy the children and playing together is is fun together and there's a lot more to being a good parent than just keeping your child fed and clean and then from that group we then started to identify some of the families at the big cut group that needed more assistance um we had a mum who had mental health problems so she had trouble keeping her house tidy she's a bit of a uh, you know just a bit of a collector really she couldn't throw anything away um and and then we found that when we started to help her to get on top of that and tidy her house up she got her carpets down for the kids to play on so that sort of thing and we helped her decorating and um, gardening we had another mum who was a very who actually taken custody of her sister's child because her sister was murdered um and um she because it wasn't her child so she got no natural maternal instincts she she challenged herself all the time she didn't have a lot of self-belief so Emily really managed her very very closely while she sort of went moved into that uh, maternal role you know and got phone calls in the middle of the night often on the sort of things that you perhaps normally defer to your mum wouldn't you if you had that kind of uh, relationship and then really 
we started to notice that other agencies were getting to hear about this other stuff that we were doing and they had families that they wanted us to support with um, and it got to the point where we were really at a crossroads so we, we had to decide do we stay doing the one toddler group one day a week or do we stop doing that and do we get an office and we start to become Alice Charity as it is today which is around supporting low income families in Newcastle and Stoke and we went that way madly <laughs> you say madly why madly um we we had no idea that it would be anything like this we never even had the thought process to think what will it be we sort of you know we we did the big cup rip we thought that was all it would be and we were happy with that and we were doing our bit and it was good fun um at the time because i founded Alice with my daughter Emily her little girl Lily was of an age to come to Big Cup so you know Lily enjoyed it as well so it was you know getting time spending with my granddaughter um so yes I, th- I think it's it, you know and and now we are we are we are a business and we employ you know eight or nine people we've got about 25 30 volunteers we've probably got six seven projects so you know it is a business and it's pretty pretty stressful um so yeah that's what i meant by whenever i sort of thought you'd come to this <laughs> what were we thinking tell me then why alice is called alice okay so alice is my grandmother's name um my mum's mum and my nan nan or alice uh, lived in fenton all of her life and and of that era where everybody's front door was always open, everybody looked out for each other. So there was always that sense around her and her home of looking after other people, looking out for other people's kids, looking out for, you know, if, if, if mum wasn't very well, some, one of the other neighbours would take the kids and feed them. That was just the way it was. And then I also went to um, a lecture, actually, by the Bishop of Stafford at the Potter's Club. And he was talking about unconditional love. And he was very challenging with it. And he said, you know, we all say we love our children unconditionally. And we all say, you know, we want the best for them. But actually, do we? Or are we just actually forging them into an image of what we want them to be? Uh, and I, as a, as a mum of kids of sort of late teens at that point, I thought, you know, that's a really challenge. That really is a challenge because we say that we love them unconditionally. But we, yeah, but we want you to go to university. And we want you to do that. Have they, we want you to go to ballet and all that. And if that's not who they are and what they want, how much do we accept that and nurture them to be the best version of themselves they can be? Or how much do we actually try and almost force them to be who we think is that's better for them to be that kind of person? So that, I thought that was a really tough challenge. And, and I embraced that challenge on that day um, to try and be like that with my children um, because they've both turned out to, to walk a very different path than I did. Um, so, you know, that hasn't always been easy. But we both, both Emily and I, definitely brought that unconditional love into Alice um, so that that is our culture. Because, you know, we're the best in the world and no matter how well-intentioned you are, we all make judgments on people. You know, we all, you know, as soon as we hear their story, you know, well, they need to do this or they need to do that. And and so we're sort of challenging ourselves every day. And I don't think it'll ever stop um, to say, well, why are they in this situation you know why are they in a situation where they're coming to us for food why are they in a situation where they can't have their children sleeping in a bed you know that's one of the basic things these kids should have their own beds and they should have a uniform to wear to school so they don't get mocked by the other kids why are they in this situation and and 99% of the time it's because the families have had 
a history of there might be mental health there might be other illnesses they've just not been brought up to be resilient they've not learned those life skills and they just don't have the skills at their fingertips to to be that kind of family if you like so that's where we we step in so we help with the stuff so we'll get the bed we'll get the uniform but we'll work with the family over a much longer period of time so that next time the bed breaks they are in a position to replace it that they know every august they are going to have to buy school uniforms so let's budget for it and not just be very surprised when august comes around again so you know that's very much our approach um to sort of you know make these families ultimately independent and resilient and when and for me our major success is when these mums come and volunteer here because they make the best family support workers because when they go out and support families they've been there done it themselves they know exactly what it's like and how difficult it is but also they are a role model for the family that they're supporting because they got out of it and they move forward and you know that some families do that fairly quickly others it takes a long time um but it's quite a powerful message what is a typical if there is such a thing as a typical day at alice like I think we've got two kinds of typical days. We have the very, very manic busy days, which are sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when uh, all the family support team are in, all the volunteers are in, and, and they're sort of coming in, they're collecting all their um, information for the family visits, and they're going out visiting all day. And then, of course, when they come back in the afternoon, before they go home, there's that sort of uh, distressing exercise where you know they want to talk about the issues of those families. Should they do this? Should they do that? They need to talk that through. So th- there's always a real manicness in the office on those days. Mondays and Fridays tend to be much calmer. Um, so we find that, you know, there's, there's not so many people in. Um, and that's it's a bit more businessy. Did you ever imagine life would be like it is for the people that you, you go out and see, some of the Alice families? Because I remember years ago when I was working at Radio Stoke and we did reports on uh, Alice Charity. Mm. And I remember hearing the descriptions of some of the houses, some of the flats that people were, were living in and being absolutely stunned and shocked that it, in this in this day and age, mm. that, that's what's happening. Yeah. I think we all know it's out there, but it's a very different uh, situation when you're actually faced with the reality of it and you walk into these people's homes and you realise that this is their norm and every day they're waking up and, you know, can they feed their children that morning? You know, can they put any heating on? Um, you know, are there any carpets on the floor? Are there any bed covers on the beds? When, you know, when you go into those homes, when you come out, you realise actually what a huge up, hill struggle they've got just to get to our normal for want of a better word um so so yes it it is very distressing but it's also very motivating you know and that's the stuff that makes us think come on guys this this is tough and you know we've sent Catherine our fundraiser out as much as we can because I think it's important for her to see the impact of, of all the stress that she's enduring on a daily basis trying to raise you know raise funds for us because it, it's very easy to get into that little office job and you're very sort of focused on getting the money in and and the same for me you know I don't do many home visits now and it, but it is important sometimes to go out and see the, the difference that we're making and actually the kind of lives that people would have if we weren't here because a lot of the agencies almost refer to us as last chance shop because if we we are so flexible with it we can be very reactive we have very few guidelines and rules i mean reality is if you're a family you live in newcastle stoke we will help you so that gives us a huge range of of requests um so but we've never shied away from that because my take on that is you know i'm a parent to my children 24 hours a day seven days a week 
Um, I don't say, well, I'm, I don't, need, I, I can't support you with that on a Monday, or can't, you know, your washing machine's broken, I can't help you with that on a Friday. You know, unconditional love is, is timeless, isn't it? And we have to be the same. We have to be there, be able to respond as soon as we can. Tell me then about some of the projects that you're running at the moment. Okay, so I think our projects sort of drop into two types, really. The projects that we deliver directly to the families themselves and then the projects that we deliver into the community where we're trying to serve more families, almost get more bang for our buck, really, but also to encourage different behaviours. So the projects we deliver into the families, we have a project called Bump and Beyond. So that is to provide baby equipment and clothing and support, emotional support, to new mums or mums-to-be Um so that's a very critical time for any 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 woman is when you know when you have you have a baby. So just having somebody at the end of the phone or somebody can pop round. Um, we also notice things like um, some of the social, you know, the sort of the, the the public agencies, if you like, they're not able to support new mums with some of the ba- most basic of equipment like formula or nappies if the parents are running out so we'll just get referrals for things like that so that's what that project does we have a project called uh, buckets of possibilities which as i alluded to earlier really is helping to turn people's house into a home so carpets decorating gardens we have a project called pass it on <clears throat> where we take second-hand donations of furniture and white goods and we pass them straight on to families in the local community um we have a project called Little Kindnesses, which is almost like a bucket. It just captures everything that doesn't fit into any of the other projects. Um, and that will do things as wide ranging as Christmas presents and school uniform, paying for childcare fees while mum's in court after in a domestic violence case. It really diverse um, issues we support with that. And then the community stuff that we deliver into the community, which is a really new venture for us, really. Last year, we opened our first uh, People's Pantry and we opened our first Big Cup. People's Pantry is our version of the food bank. Um, but we try to make it sort of quite complementary to existing food banks. So we open every day. You don't have to be referred in. You can come as many times as you like. Um <clears throat> And we currently we have one people's pantry based in Bridge Street in Newcastle, um, but we've got you know ambitious plans to roll that out into the communities of North Staffs in the next couple of years, and then Big Cup is again back to how we started with our Big Cup group. Um, we were very blessed to get some funding from the Realise Foundation um, towards launching some Big Cup groups in Newcastle. So we currently have a Big Cup group in Kidsgrove, which is actually open today on a Monday, and Clayton on a Wednesday. And again, free of charge, come along. We'll help you with you know parenting, budgeting just some company you know very much the model for that is around you know addressing isolation so these parents because we deliver it right in the middle of the community instantly they're starting to get some friendships of people that who live around the corner so hopefully they'll continue to support each other outside the weekly big cup and um, we will be opening a big cup in Maidley and Chesterton after February half term and we're looking to open them in um join a square feg Hayes and burslem uh, before easter so so that's a, you know it's, it's a really good project that and it's a really effective project and the big win for big cup now versus when we first started it is that we've now got the alice machine behind it so if we identify families that do need more support our big cup project leader just refers them straight into family support and we can get them that help immediately rather than having to rely on other agencies to do that you mentioned earlier about it's 24 hour seven days a week support mm. How do you ever relax, personally? <sighs> when I'm dead. <laughs> I don't know. I think because it's a very rewarding job, um, 
you, you do relax because you know you're getting a lot of job satisfaction and i think if you talk to anybody who runs their own business you never switch off do you you know you're always on it it's the first thing you think about when you wake up and it's the last thing you think about when you go to sleep i think the difference for me where i feel very blessed is is it's an organization that's making a difference to people's lives it's not just you know lining shareholders pockets so yeah in this economic environment at the moment where times are tough for so many people how do you manage as what is a very small charity when you've got charities left right and center you've got big corporate charities mm. there's other small charities as well and everyone's competing for that pound in everyone's pockets including yeah. the people that have got that pound and they might need it as well how do you cope and how do you survive in times like this well the, the honest truth is we have a huge waiting list um the other answer is we have we challenge ourselves regularly to think about better ways of doing things you know to try and get as much done for nothing or, or as, as least cost as we can to think about innovative ways of raising money and not sort of the same old tired uh, fundraising ideas that other people use but you know it is very difficult because like you say everybody's after the same the same pound and you know services are being closed so the demand's increasing but lots of charities are closing you know big lottery have announced they're, put, they're reducing their funding because not as many people are buying lottery tickets so every every channel of income is almost reducing as the demand is increasing so we're, we, it, it will just get to the point where the waiting lists get larger and larger. Um, and I think the way forward is we've, all, we've almost got to help ourselves. So it's tapping into that sort of regular income stream from regular donations from individuals in the city and from the businesses in the city. Um, but the constant challenge for us yet is, is how can we do this better, cheaper? And if you could speak to everybody in the city, everybody in Newcastle, what would your one message be to them? Um, join our family fiver scheme donate five pounds a month which is less than two coffees in costa or starbucks or any of those i'm not particularly targeting <laughs> the coffee shops but in our coffee culture it's less than two coffees a month and that can make a huge difference because you may well be living right next door to a family where there's no heating on where the kids have got no carpets on the floor where these children are going to school hungry every day and they all put a brave face on because there's still a huge amount of shame around poverty um so you know just that that would be if everybody could do that that would be that would make our our dreams come true and we could make a massive difference to the lives of people in the city you support a lot of alice families mm. do you think there are a lot of people out there who don't realize that families near them are being supported or families near them need to be supported absolutely absolutely and i, and I think that's something that people could do more proactively is because there are signs there you know if you look hard enough if you really care there are signs there that you can see that people are struggling and and we can put these are the sort of signs that we would look for at like a big cup or people coming into the pantry or if we do a fundraiser in a school it, you know one of the things that we try to do we, we're very limited on how much of this we can do because of the resources we've got but in an ideal world for me we'd have relationships with every primary school and, and high school in the city so that because the teachers, teachers know, teachers know the kids in the class that are struggling and, and, and almost for that not to then be a shame issue and there's, there's nothing wrong with being poor um, and, and reach out for help and, and you know, hopefully move yourselves forward. And if you can't, if the situation is that, you know, maybe you have, you're from a single parent family and mum's not, has got ill health and unable to work full time or at all. And that's always going to be your situation, but let's try and re-educate people that that's not, that doesn't make that woman a bad woman. That doesn't make that family a bad family. Those kids should have exactly the same opportunities as every other child in the city. And it's shame on us if we don't do that. 
I really enjoy talking to Steph and finding out just more about Alice Charity and the work that they do. And the fact is, it could easily be the case that where I live, there's a family being supported by Alice. And Steph's right, we do need to just open our eyes a little bit more. And poverty, it's not something to be ashamed of. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Come back next week for more. Remember, every Wednesday, you'll get cultural quarter of an hour. And if you can't wait that long, don't worry. We're around on social media. It is Cultural Quarter of an Hour podcast on Facebook, on Twitter at CQHpod. And don't forget the website where the blog is as well, cqhpod.co.uk.